When was the last time you cried? And when I say cried, I don't necessarily mean cry out of grief. It could be cry of, t- of tears of joy. It could be tears of just existential loneliness. It could be tears of awe. And of course, there are also tears of pain. Emotional tears. I ask the question because I'll never forget an event that happened a number of years ago where a gentleman came to see me. He was in his mid-40s. And um, as soon as I looked at him, as soon as he entered my office, I saw that he was like stiff. I could see the knots and how much was bottled up within him without even uttering a word. Then we sat down to speak. He began to share with me his life story. And ultimately, just it was one personification epitomizing pain and suffering. He told me that his whole life, he was loathed, he was bullied, he was always picked on. And he began to loathe himself. He says, and I would even create scenarios where people would take advantage of me. The more he spoke, the more painful it was. I couldn't even imagine living like that 24-7. How did he come to see me? He had heard of one of my classes online and felt he wanted to reach out. He was clearly an intelligent person, but his potential was completely locked up in this deeply knotted, you know, the body remembers and the body contains and uh, all the pains that we have in our lives are all embedded within our bodies. And you could see it in this fellow. As we're speaking, and I was just trying to be kind and empathetic and just hear his story, I asked him suddenly, just out of the blue, I said to him, when is the last time you cried? And he looked at me with bewilderment. And he said, last time, I can't even remember. I think it was around four or five years old. But I do remember my father telling me then, I never want to see you crying again. Men don't cry. And every time I was in pain, I wanted to cry. I was terrified because my father would catch me. And I had plenty to cry about. And I was thinking to myself, how many tears are bottled up in this individual? And then he added this devastating line. He said, and I'll tell you something, that if I begin crying, I feel like I'll never stop because I have so much, like a gushing wellspring. It will never stop. By instinct, I just asked him to stand up. He stood up. I went over to him, and I gave him a hug, a bear hug. This man froze up. I felt I was holding on to this cold stone, like a metal beam, as tight as it can be. It's hard to even describe. It wasn't human. And I saw what happened. Armor. All the feelings. All the feelings, whether of pain or even of joy were locked inside, and there was this solid brick armor, brick wall surrounding it all. And I realized at that point the power of tears and the power of expression and the power of what we call breaking the silence. So though many of us look at tears as being something, I'd rather not cry, why would I want to cry? Yet it's one of our greatest gifts. Think of it this way. 
a kettle is boiling water, with boiling water, and the kettle begins to boil and boil and boil, and the spout is locked up, or it's blocked, or there is no spout, what would happen? At some point, the boiling water would explode because there'd be no release point. Psychologically, the same is true. It either explodes or, with the human psyche, there's another option, which could be even worse. It implodes. So exploding, at least it's expressing itself, obviously, in a uh, destructive way, whereas the spout would have the certain regulated release. When it comes to imploding, it ties you up. Think of anything that you are consumed with. Resentments, anger, grudges, being hurt, justified or not justified. It starts eating you up, and inside of you, you feel things boiling, you feel things consuming you. And if you don't express it, what happens is it does implode. You may not feel its effects as much as an explosion, but it's perhaps even more devastating. Now, why do we explode? We explode. We can explode. Sometimes you see people who have a lot of built-up, pent-up feelings, like a volcano, and then they erupt. You suddenly see an outburst of rage. You wonder, where did that come from? Often, it was there all the time. It was that steam that was building up. It just didn't express itself. But what happens if it doesn't express itself in rage because you're afraid to express or you're afraid how people will look at you? Then it goes inward. And the same intensity is eating you up within, it undermines you, it blocks you up, and doesn't allow you to express yourself, and definitely not to actualize yourself. So in that context, tears is a gift, a blessing, that we were blessed with, that when things begin to build up within us, the liquid will enter our tear ducts and will express it through tears. And if someone stops you from crying, it's literally like someone stopping you from breathing, from expressing, from exhaling. And that's why they say silence is worse than the crime. Or in the more explicit terms, silence is worse than the rape. Because it's one thing, violation, terrible, horrible. But you can't even express your pain involved? And someone says to you, never happened. That invalidation, far, far worse. Because it doesn't even allow you to heal. It's one thing a person gets injured. Another is someone stopping the healing process. So in that sense, tears are a critical component in our lives. Now, I'm talking, obviously, negative tears in a way. Well, I shouldn't say negative tears. The tears are positive. But coming from some negative causes. But the same is with tears in any given situation. It shows that there's something that you have within you that can't be expressed with regular words. You can't contain it, so it expresses itself in an outburst of tears or in quiet tears. But regardless, it's an expression. And as such, it's a healthy thing overall. We'll soon talk about overgrieving, person who cannot stop crying, as that gentleman said with me. But we'll get there. Right now, we'll talk about this, this power of expression. In the Talmud, there's a very interesting two opinions on a verse. The verse says, if a person is anxious, if a person is worried or concerned, the Hebrew word is if the heart of a person is concerned or anxious, that's the word that's used, 
So the Talmud has two opinions. What does Yasechenah mean? One says Yasechenah from the word Sicha, to speak. If you're anxious, if you're concerned, find someone to speak about, to express it. And that will help you. The second Yasechenah is read not with a sin, but with a Samach in Hebrew, which means to distract yourself. Lasiach das, heschadas. To distract yourself, think about other things. Don't let the anxiety consume you. Now, apparently, this seems like a contradiction because speaking about it and ignoring it or distracting yourself is two diametric opposites. So there's an interesting thought by Rav Shmuel. He was the fourth Chabad Rebbe, and he says the following. No, they are actually two parts of one story. When you speak about it, that's how you can distract yourself. Because if you don't, you carry it within you, and then you can start getting consumed. There are many things like that. It just starts eating you up. When you express it, you release it. And once you release it, it's easier to distract yourself. So obviously there are situations where one should try to just ignore something and move on, take the high road, if possible. But if not, the expression is a critical component. So that's why the first step in any healing is acknowledgement, is breaking the silence, it's expression. Once there's expression, firstly, you have released that pent-up energy, so the spout is playing its role in allowing the steam out. And secondly, now that you're speaking to someone, I'm talking about in the context of speaking, then you probably can get some good advice. If it's a good person, someone you trust, someone that's objective. When it comes to tears, which is the topic of our discussion, it's not so much the speaking, but the release has allowed you now to acknowledge it. My goal with that individual was to get him to cry once. And not in a forced way or in a fabricated way or a superficial way, but just give him the permission, the license, that he's able to cry in stark contrast to what his father had told him. The end of the story I shall share by the end of this program. So that idea of giving people the right, the dignity, that you are able to express anything, including your pain, is the story of tears. Now you may wonder, why did I choose to speak about it today? We're now in the Hebrew calendar, the saddest time of the year, the nine days, leading up to Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, a day that's commemorated for thousands of, thousands of years now, for the destruction of both temples and other sad, tragic events that happen on this day in this period of time. So it seems apropos, appropriate to talk about tears. But we're talking about healthy tears, healthy forms of expression. So someone that bottled up and can't express, it's vital that they learn to express themselves and have the right to cry, yes. I'm not saying you have to go around crying with everyone and doing it in the most public way, but even with yourself, with others that you trust. It's a vital component. Which leads me to an unbelievable statement from the Kabbalists, say, the mystics, that tears bathe your soul. Just like a human body goes into a spa, into a bath, and it soothes you, it calms you like a bomb. The same is true with the soul. It also needs soothing. It also needs nurturing and comforting. And tears, like water, the warm tears that are a bit like salt water bathe your soul. Because what they do is they allow you to submerge yourself 
into something which is liquidy, but the point is not the liquid here. The point is its representation that allows you to express yourself. Do you ever cry, let's say, you're listening to a beautiful song and it reminds you, reminiscent of past beautiful memories, warm memories, or even sad memories, someone you miss, someone you knew, someone who may have passed on? These are tears, if you think about them, they are very calming, they're very relaxing. Now, yes, they include an element of pain because there is the aspect of missing someone or something that you may have lost, but you're aware of it, and that awareness is a very healthy thing. On the other hand, let's go to the other side now. If the release point doesn't stop, if the volcano continues to erupt, it can also be destructive as well. So though tears are necessary, we also have to know how to regulate them. Now when I say regulate, it doesn't mean you control it. It just means you need to understand, to use the words of the psalmist, that those that will sow with tears will reap with joy. That the point of the tears is not an end in itself. It's true, it's relaxing, it bathes your soul. It's an expression. It's the spout, the release. But that's not an end in itself. Once there's a release, now what do you do with that energy? The energy that was bottled up, that was locked up and trapped. What happens now? What happens, you want to take that energy and turn it into something positive. It's a very critical point. Grief, loss, pain, trauma, tragedy, all creates tremendous energy. The only thing, it's negative energy. But it's still energy. That energy, when it's harnessed, can turn it tremendous to be a powerful catalyst for tremendous change. Because all change happens with a lot of energy. But the energy has to be harnessed. It has to be channeled. So the second half of the story is, yes, yes, we express ourselves. We express our feelings. We have the dignity and the, and the, and the license and the permission to express ourselves. But then that expression needs to be turned. You feel sad about something. You're missing something. Or it's a sadness, like an existential sadness. Turn that into something positive. Build something with it. And you'll see the greatest things that were built in history were built, in most cases, out of some kind of painful situation. A loss, a death, a tragedy, a holocaust. It's not just because people were angry and they said, let's build something. It's because it generated tremendous energy and ultimately that energy turned into something extremely positive. Look at everything great in life. The birth of a child will usually come after tears. The tears of the mother, the pain of the mother, even the tears of the child. So if you think of it, tears are like raindrops that are sowed, are planted, and they then reap. They bear fruit. That's when you know that the circle has been complete. Because then you have both sides of it. The silence, the locking up, the trapped tears is obviously not healthy. On the other hand, once it's expressed, you want it to be turned and transformed into building something. There was a, uh, an elder chassid who was in the good old days in Russia, there was no air conditioning, but the summer was unbearable heat. So what did people do for relief? They would go into these cellars these cool cellars that were out of the, out of the, uh, out of the, 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 
not under the sun, and they were able to cool off. However, because there was also no electricity, there was also no light. So one gentleman, one chassid, went down into one of these cellars to cool off. And as he came down, he felt it was really dark. And he, and he expressed himself. He said, it's so dark here. Now, there were a few other people there also cooling off. And one of them said, don't worry, stay here for a while and you'll get used to it. And, that's what, and, he's, and he exclaimed, no, that's exactly what I'm concerned about. I don't want to get used to it. I want to know it's dark. So there's a darkness that conceals a darkness. It's called denial. You don't even know it's dark. Then there's no hope, because where do you go then? You convince yourself that everything is great when it isn't. Then there's awareness of the darkness. Awareness is critical because then that's the first step to healing. Awareness is have the cure. But then comes the actual cure, which is to do something about it. So in this period of time, when we do remember tragic events, it's not just a past memory. It's about remembering right now and being aware of any, every painful situation, every rift, every, every schism, every break, every disappointment, every broken heart. Remembering it is a powerful thing. But then let's do something about it. There's nothing as complete as a broken heart because it makes you aware. And through those cracks, the light gets in, as Leonard Cohen sings. But now we need to bring that light out. So the second half of the story, in concluding what happened with that gentleman, let me tell you. I began to meet with him, not, I wouldn't say every week, but every month probably for a while. And I was just being kind. I had no direct agenda. I did want him to have the right to express himself, which he never was allowed. In time, as he began to express himself, I gave him some things to read. I told him to listen to some music. He finally shed a tear. Not in front of me. He told me. He called me. He was actually excited. He said, you know, I cry today. It was like such a big thing for him. And I celebrated with him. And it was the beginning of a journey I know this person now quite a while. Today he's married. He has a few children. He learned to express himself. That's all it came down to. Well, it's not that's all. But it was so difficult because it was locked up for so many years. And he had plenty to express. Beautiful soul. Beautiful person. He has much work to be done. There's still much repressed, much pain. But he also has joy in his life. And it all began because he learned to cry. He learned to weep. He learned the power of tears. But he also learned that the tears did not destroy him. He did not stop crying. It's not like he began to cry and couldn't stop as he was afraid. He did learn to stop. And as he learned to stop, he also learned to embrace beautiful things in his life. Emotional expression, my friends, is the healthiest possible thing we can do. However, it does not mean overindulging in your emotions. It doesn't mean becoming narcissistic that it's all about me and my feelings. Because that also can happen. People who've, been, who've repressed their feelings or whose feelings were repressed by others, often, once they open up, they don't know how to be quiet. And I don't mean that to be critical or cynical. It means that you also need to balance it. Now, when someone expresses themselves, I will never say stop, obviously. But we also need to learn. We need to learn to express, and we also need to learn to listen. It's part of the experience. And that's one of the most powerful lessons that we learn from the Kabbalah of tears. 
that tears have in them this spiritual, emotional potency that carries all kinds of energy. It's one of the mysteries of life. It comes out of our eyes, not of our ears, not of our nose. Our eyes, our eyes that gaze upon things, the eyes that are the windows to the soul. That's where tears come from. And the words of the Zohar, the mystical work, the classic work of mysticism, Arabshim by Yachai, the words of the Zohar, they are, and essentially they are like the raindrops of the brain, of the mind. They're not the full mind, obviously. When the mind is overpowered, like the expression there is Rabbi Akiva, the great sage, was studying the secrets of Torah and his eyes were dripping with tears. Why? Because the intensity of the feeling was so powerful, it couldn't be expressed just through words or through thoughts or through actions. The tears are like that eruption. But the eruption, as you see, is not always in pain. It could also be in great joy. It's essentially an expression from a superconscious reality. Our consciousness, our conscious wisdom, is expressed through words, through ideas, through thoughts, through writing, different ways that we express ourselves. But sometimes when you can't express yourself in those more limited containers, we have another container. It's called tears. So tears are really a channel, a bridge, an interface to another reality. It's bringing down. That's why they come as drops. Because as the Kabbalists explain, the more intense the energy, the more it has to come into very thin expressions or limited expressions. But in each drop lies this potent energy that the greatest ideas cannot contain. So in that sense, in addition to everything we spoke about, the expression, the bathing of the soul, the spa, the spiritual spa, there's also that element of it opening up channels to deeper states of consciousness and superconsciousness. So we see that a human being is far more than just what it seems. What you see is not what you get. There's much more lying within us. And the tears are like a messengers, messengers from a deeper place. When I'm speaking to you, yes, I'm expressing some of my feelings, some of my thoughts. But when you see me cry, there's another expression coming from a deeper place. So it t- teaches us that we have access to more mysterious and more exotic more abstract areas of transcendence than we may ever know. And that's yet another power that tears opens up for us. That's why it says that all the gates are closed except the gate of tears. That even when all the gates are closed, the tears can open up and pierce. You see, when someone you love comes to you and asks, makes a request, sometimes you'll grant it, sometimes you may not. But when they cry, there's something that touches you. It's coming from their depths, reaching into your depths. So this is just a bit called the tip of the iceberg, if you wish, of the Kabbalah of tears and its power in our lives. We should not be afraid to access it. This doesn't mean we have to force it. Everything has in in its time. Some of the purest and most pristine of tears is when it just happens spontaneously. You're walking, you're thinking, and just, you know, sometimes the very reality of existence itself can bring you to tears. When, you, when you're sensitive. So when next time you th- cry, think of the tear as a drop. It's a drop of water. But in it lies tremendous power for you, for others, and even for the very cosmos. Because those tears are carried all the way high to the highest levels. 
in the cosmic levels above to draw down new levels, unprecedented levels of energy that we have not been able to access until we were able to reach into that deeper place. And ultimately, I want to conclude with a blessing in the prophets that says that in the future, God himself will erase all tears from our face, will wipe away the tears from our face. That doesn't mean that tears won't have value. It means the pain that has caused those tears will be wiped away. But the positive effects will remain with us forever. This has been Simon Jacobson speaking about the Kabbalah of Tears, Meaningful Life Center, MeaningfulLife.com. Please, please subscribe, share with others, like, friend, all the different words used of getting the word out there. And I would love to hear your feedback, your thoughts, your suggestions, your ideas, your questions, and create a real dialogue. And may we only have tears of joy in our lives, only things to celebrate, and even when there may be a tear or two of, of pain, express it and then transform it into something really beautiful. Thank you and be blessed. May these days be transformed from sadness to joy and to great celebrations and holidays. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.